This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Wurundjeri land. And this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. As the Labor government continues its push for tax reform, this week the conversation has shifted from their fairly moderate policy proposal to their past promises. This is a supersized broken election promise. It was unambiguous from the Prime Minister. This, quite frankly, is Albanese's Julia Gillard moment. It seems every time Jim Chalmers and Anthony Albanese face the media, they're accused of breaking an election promise. How much integrity is there in a broken election promise? We said before the election we wouldn't make major changes to superannuation. This is a modest change. And while it's important to hold politicians accountable, is this shouting over broken promises drowning out conversations we should be having about a fair and equitable tax system? Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of News Mike Tisha about point-scoring politics and the promise of reform. It's Friday, the 3rd of March. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Mike, and welcome back. Thank you. Hello. There's been a lot of commentary this week about broken promises in politics. Lenore, what's going on? So as we discussed on this podcast last week, listeners will recall, the government was uh, talking about increasing the tax rate on super accounts over about $3 million. So it's still a discount rate, but it'll go up to 30% from 15%. This week they said, yes, that's what they're actually going to do. And technically, yes, it is a broken promise because before the election, Anthony Albanese said Labor had no intention of making any super changes and now they are. And, you know, that's not nothing. We need to be able to trust politicians. We need to know that what they say during an election campaign is what they do. We need to hold them to account, et cetera, et cetera. However, I do think there's a couple of sort of related points. Politicians are really in an invidious position. You know, if they announce something big before an election, it gets weaponised. If they don't announce anything before an election, they're running a small target campaign. So there's like a very difficult political situation emerging because of the way that, you know, we try to sort of do gotcha moments on everything that they say and rule in, rule out questions on every single possible policy. And also I think there's some sort of nuance or mitigating factors to this particular broken promise which needs to be taken into account. But yes, it's a broken promise and yes, the coalition is having a field day with that. 
So it's not the first broken promise to happen in politics, Mike, is it? What have been some of the more memorable broken promises? Well, I guess what you call a broken promise may depend on your political point of view, but there have been lots of promises that politicians have made that have not come to pass. <laughs> Listeners may be surprised here. <laughs> Although research does show that actually in both Australia and the US, more promises are kept than you might imagine, the more election promises are kept than is the sort of popularly accepted view. But I guess some of the most famous ones in Australian recent political history have been some of the ones that Tony Abbott made before the 2013 election, particularly about funding for the ABC and SBS. Uh, no cuts to education, no cuts to health, no change to pensions, no change to the GST, and no cuts to the ABC or SBS. Then there was the Gillard characterised as having broken a promise when she said... There will be no carbon tax under the government I lead. Which obviously was highly contentious, but it was certainly construed as a broken promise by the opposition. Those are the two that spring to mind previously. I'm sure Lenore can remember some more from her reporting days. So many. I mean... Mike's quite right. There's a whole history of broken promises and the fact that we can always remember the exact words that are used as the gotcha, like, look, this is the broken promise, goes to the potency of it. Like, there will be no carbon tax under a government I lead. We can all recite it. The thing is, I think part of our responsibility in the media is to not always go along with every political accusation of what constitutes a broken promise because, as Mike pointed out, that wasn't actually a broken promise. Gillard also said, I don't rule out the possibility of a CPRS, a market-based mechanism. Now, that wasn't turned into a fun ringtone by the opposition. <laughs> like they, they, didn't, they didn't pick up on that one. And that's exactly what she brought in. She brought in a floating carbon price with a one-year fixed price. And even Tony Abbott's chief, then chief of staff, Peter Credlin, said subsequently that she and Abbott always knew a floating carbon price wasn't a carbon tax, but they just seized on it out of brutal retail politics. So I think in that circumstance, for instance, the truthful way of holding politicians to account would be to say, here is the complexity of it. This isn't really technically a broken promise. In, you know, in terms of the promise that Anthony Albanese has broken, I do think it sits in a kind of grey zone. And there's also, you know, the question of the obvious merits of the policy. But I think we kind of are almost losing the ability to see nuance in these things. Mm. Yeah, and on the recent one, Albanese has tried to mitigate the sin of breaking a promise by legislating the super changes now, but they won't come into effect until after the next election. So the voters do have a chance to reject them if they see fit. And I guess that also goes back to another famous broken promise, which was John Howard's one that he would never introduce a GST and then subsequently did. That was only after he put it to the voters at the 1998 election, which they did not resoundingly yeah. <laughs> endorse, but he did come back to power in 1998 and subsequently introduced it. And I mean, circumstances had changed, but the Labor government now is trying to mitigate that by putting it out beyond the next election. I think the Conservative commentators are trying to draw a distinction between Howard and Albanese by saying, well, yes, they're both implementing the policy after the next election, but Albanese is intending to legislate his change before the election and that somehow is qualitatively different. I mean, I don't think it really is because Peter Dutton's saying, well, if he wins the next election, he'll abolish it. So, mm. you know, both times voters had a say on the policy and if it was as big a broken promise and consequential broken promise as as 
each opposition at the time said it was, you know, then voters can make their views known. And, you know, I do think that, well, to start with, what John Howard said before the 1996 election about the GST was never, ever, it's dead, it was killed by the voters at the last election. And also, I would argue, a GST on, you know, most goods and services is slightly more consequential a change and slightly more consequential a broken promise than a small tweak for 80,000 people's super accounts. Are there circumstances where voters don't punish so severely for broken promises? I don't know. I mean, I think that depends on the debate in the media in a way, on how it's presented and how it's portrayed. And I think that has gotten to a very unhealthy place. You know, we, as Murph said in her column last weekend, which I thought dealt with this really well, you know, we put politicians in a corner and then we berate them for crouching there. And this goading persists for as long as it takes for a prime minister or a treasurer to edge out of the corner and try to do something. And then the apocalyptic screeching starts. And the screeching this week has really been something to behold. And it's usually by the exact same columnists who otherwise shout at governments for not doing enough to repair the budget. Mm. And then the government takes its first very timid step towards repairing the budget. And then they all scream blue murder. And I mean, there were just some quite ludicrous examples this week. There was Journalists taking to social media, desperately trying to find a case study like anybody, any poor soul who had a super account of over $3 million and who wanted to talk about it, needless to say, unsurprisingly, none of those 80,000 volunteered. (laughs) Or the one I liked, the very best was an asset manager, the Australian dug up, who actually said, this is an actual quote, I don't think $3 million is a lot of money. If you've got someone who's put all of their money into super, doesn't own their own home and is renting, this person will be seriously stuffed by this sort of change. I mean, imagine having $3 million in super and not having a house. I mean, where is this person? And I still don't understand why they would be seriously stuffed. No, there's that too. (laughs) Um, What is the media's role, Lenore, in creating an environment where we can have a more nuanced discussion about these kinds of things? I mean, I think to be a little bit more analytical and critical about what's being said. So, you know, this week people were uncritically accepting the idea that this policy was class warfare. I mean, how can it be class warfare when there's 80,000 people in one class and the 25,920,000 of the rest of us in the other class? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And then not fall for the inevitable recourse of politicians who don't have very many facts on their side, which is the good old slippery slope argument, which is what happened this week when the coalition tried to sort of divert the debate into our super today, but tomorrow they're going to be going for capital gains tax on your house, which, you know, the equity argument was obviously getting quite difficult to make around super. And so, you know, journalists moved on to the gotcha game around other tax concessions that provide incredible tax benefits to rich people, like capital gains tax concessions on the family home. And Jim Chalmers said in an interview, we don't have any intention of changing that. And then journalists jumped on the fact that that was the same formation of language that Anthony Albanese had used about super, aha, they're going to change it. Within about an hour, Anthony Albanese completely ruled it out. We're not going to impact the family home, full stop, exclamation mark. But that hour, according to The Australian, proved 
that there was a politically dangerous gulf between the Prime Minister and the Treasurer. By Thursday, the Liberal Party was sending out a mass email soliciting donations which said that Labor had shown it couldn't be trusted, goes to the first broken promise and then says Jim Chalmers has now opened up the idea of extending capital gains tax to the sale of the family home. I mean, he didn't. He just didn't. So that should have been a blip, to my mind, in my judgment, that should have been a blip on the day's news. Like, oh, look, the Treasurer was slightly loose with his language. The Prime Minister closed it down, you know, within the hour, move right along. But it appears in some quarters to be now something the Labor Party's left the door open for is considering whatever. I mean, the slippery slope is lazy. It's it's lazy. It's what you do when you can't prove your first point, I think. Mm. The danger is that these tactics have been shown to work in some cases. Mm -hmm. There is that danger that it becomes a sort of, these people can't manage the economy generally, everything, your jobs, your your income is in is in danger in a much broader sense than the extremely yeah. <laughs> specific and minor if, changes that are actually on the table. But only if we let it and the well, arguments are exactly. just getting so mad. Like the $3 million is not indexed. So there are all these calculations about, well, over time more people will fall into that category, which is true. But then there were these calculations say how long would it take for, you know, someone to sort of fall into that category. It's like, 30 years before it becomes, uh, you know, a, a sizable number of people. No one alive now on a normal income is going to fall into that category in their lifetime. And that's presuming that no government in the meantime indexes it or changes the threshold at all, which certainly over time there would be some pressure to do. I mean, it's kind of grasping its straws stuff, really, I think. Mike, Allegra Spender actually said on 7.30 on Wednesday night that she felt that the political point scoring and the gotcha from the media had made elections timid and felt that we needed to do something differently to have big debates. Do you think she's right? That's certainly, I think, indisputable in the light of recent political history. At the 2019 election, Labor put forward some policies on um, negative gearing policies, um, franking credits policy, which were effectively torn down by Scott Morrison. And the fact that they lost badly obviously influenced the way they ran the 2022 election and then subsequently end up with a situation where they have proposed a fairly limited agenda and then when they do want to do something bolder, then they get pilloried for breaking promises. <laughs> so there has been a sort of increasing tendency to make it very difficult for parties to run positive election campaigns where they propose major, bold, difficult changes and it's up to them to explain them better and it's up to us to report them better, I think, if that trend is going to be reversed. Mm, yeah, Lenore, what's at stake there if we don't get that right? Well, I guess, I mean, Anthony Albanese is actually going for sort of baby steps change, right? He's going for steady-as-you-go change, take-the-people-with-me change, you know, trying to break this cycle of gotcha and hyper-partisanship by taking things steady. And there are certainly factual arguments for him to make for this baby step on super tax. But I guess the reaction to the announcement would suggest that the baby step strategy is probably politically wise, even if policy-wise, you know, people wish he could go further. And I guess we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's an experiment. It's a real-time experiment right here. Next, Rupert Murdoch's defamation deposition. Hold up. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Mike, what's stuck in your mind this week? So a very big story this week in filings in the court case in the US where Dominion Voting Systems is suing Fox News over allegations about falsifying the election results in the 2020 presidential election. It was revealed that Rupert Murdoch had admitted that he knew that Fox News hosts spread lies about the 2020 election being stolen from Donald Trump and also that he had allowed them to keep doing so on air. I mean, what can you say? Just a kind of amazing admission. We have no idea where the implications of this will go at this stage, but just seems an unbelievably brazen thing to say. Also, I guess in some ways an incredibly obvious thing to say that it Mm. seemed that that must have been the case, but to hear it out from his own mouth, quite astounding. Yeah, I had the same story, Mike. I mean, it's just such an incredible story. He didn't only admit that he knew that they were spreading lies, but he confessed that he let them keep on doing that on air to millions of people. I mean, it's just astonishing. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lenore. Thanks, Gabs. Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert, Camilla Hannan and Daniel Simo. The executive producer is me, Gabrielle Jackson. Our theme music was composed by Joe Coning. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening now. We'll see you Monday. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.